Welcome to season five of the Retail Tea Break podcast. My name is Melissa Moore, the Retail Advisor, and each week I'll be joined by industry experts, retailers and brands to dispel the myths, share their knowledge and give you an insight into the retail industry. You can listen back to previous episodes on your favourite podcast platform or on YouTube. And while you're there, please subscribe to the podcast so that you get to listen to it first every week. In the meantime, grab that cup of tea, sit back and listen in to season five of the Retail Tea Break podcast. Today, I'm joined by a guest who has a retail framework that boils down to implementing the basics, focusing on cash flow and profit. He's a business coach and a consultant with over 25 years experience in the retail pharmacy industry. He's bought, grown and sold large pharmacy businesses in Australia and is now passionate about helping retailers achieve their business goals. Alvin Nase, welcome to the Retail Tea Break podcast. Oh, thank you, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's such an honor to be here. I've been following you for a while. And yay, I finally made it to the the Retail Tea Break podcast. Thank you. I love it. And I'm delighted to have you here because I think we're going to have a conversation today that I think a lot of retailers, especially independents, just shy away from because they don't get it or they don't want to spend the time doing the basics that can really propel them on. So before we start then, in the age-old kind of fashion of the Retail Tea Break podcast, in the time that it takes to boil a kettle, which I'm told is about two minutes, mm-hmm. tell us about you and your retail experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think you covered a little bit uh, already in the intro, but my retail experience, I trained as a pharmacist in Melbourne, Australia, and then I bought my first business when I was about 27 or 28 years old. And so pharmacy in Australia, there's hospital pharmacy and retail pharmacy. So I was in retail pharmacy. And really over the next 16, 17 years, I was sort of buying and selling those kind of businesses, buying retail pharmacies, building them up, building them up and then selling them through. And so these were pretty large businesses. At one stage, you know, we had a team of like 45 people working with us. So I learned a lot. And the reason I learned a lot because is because I actually use business coaches and consultants with me the whole way through. I've always been using them because in the beginning, when I first bought my business, I was a, a little bit impatient and I wanted to get results very, very quickly. And I knew by using a coach or a consultant, I could do that. So, so that's been my, my journey in building businesses. And then I left to left Australia to move to Germany. And so now I'm helping other retailers do the same, not just in the pharmacy industry, but in all other bricks and mortar specifically type businesses, just to share my experiences and part part my knowledge and help other retailers do the same, just the same way my business coaches help me. I love that. And I actually, it's really interesting seeing that you came to retail. So many retailers grow up through the industry or they, you know, they started their job at 17 and worked their way through it. But I think you bring a very different insight because again, your, your, I suppose your primary understanding was pharmacy. And then having come into retail with that, I think you bring a very different breadth of knowledge. But again, it's, it's the advice you give because you've been given it over the years, which I think makes this really interesting. You saw help early to bring you on that journey and I think that's really what I want to kind of plug into today but Mm -hmm. looking at what you do and how you do it I kind of got to try and pick your bin for free here in many of course um cash flow it's almost like a dirty word whether you're in huge business or whether you're running an independent 
it's so hard to manage and that's kind of regardless of whether you're in a cost of living crisis like we are here in Ireland still at the moment whether inflation is up or down and I suppose whether you're a big retailer or an independent just how important was it to you to truly understand the impact of cash flow for those businesses? Yes. So for me, it was such a big part. So I went through so many different cash flow journeys, if you will. And yes, I had help along the way, but I was still making mistakes as my businesses evolved into different parts. I came across different challenges. The first thing was with cash flow is I was trying to grow the business too quickly. So that means I was purchasing all this stock and because um, I had a plan in place, right? I knew I knew I had this business plan, this marketing plan in place, but I bought all this stock and then I realized, oh my God, that money hasn't been replaced yet because it was either sitting on the shelf or waiting for my marketing strategies to start to take fruition because as we know, marketing doesn't take a day or two before you start to bring results, right? But I was so young and eager to get everything happening and going. So when it when it came to paying the bill 60 days later, you know, right? And I looked into my bank account, I was like, where the hell is all the, my money? It was all gone. And I didn't really realize that the m money that wasn't in my bank account, it was from the previous money I had before. So I was still waiting for these new stock to pay me the money, if you will, to get my return on investment. And I had used up all my trading funds, previous money in the account. And that's why I was really short on cash. But I didn't really understand that. At the end of the month or at the end of the season, I was just looking at it and going, where is it all going? And of course, I was just presuming I would get the answer just by looking at my bank account, which of course doesn't really tell you much, right? I didn't really understand the value of tracking my cash flow or didn't really understand the value of going deeper into understanding what was happening under the hood of my business. But you know what? That's part of me thinks, gosh, that was so naive of you, Alvin. But actually having worked with so many retailers over the last few years, it's really common. And it's not that we're kind of daft enough to think I'll buy all this stock and then I'll magically find money under my pillow. It's actually that, as you say, we've got, we've strategized, we've been told to strategize. So we have a five-year plan. So we're going to buy X amount of stock and we're going to sell it at this price and we're going to sell it on. But actually, I think what we do forget is this is retail. You then have to hope the customer comes in to buy it. And it is quite a slow process. So it's nice to kind of hear you there. And apologies for interrupting you that you made this mistake because it's really common. It's so common. And as I traveled through my business buying and selling career uh, journey, it's not just retailers that have this same kind of situation, right? A lot of the big corporates run into the same situation, not necessarily retailers, but every big company at some stage as part of their growing pains or as someone sort of dropped the ball a little bit and taken their eyes off the cash flow situation, they, they get into this into this cash flow crunch, this cash crunch. So it can happen very, very easily. And even the best business people, it happens to them all. So it's something that we just need to be aware of and uh, we know it can happen, but we we know also that we can actually get out of it. And that's good to hear that, again, you don't just become stuck in it. Because I think for some, it becomes this vicious cycle, like a hamster wheel that we know we need to buy the stock, but we know we have to sell the stock. And in the meantime, I have all these bills to pay. It's it's a really weird one. But again, as you say that, it isn't just small business that this happens to. It can be the massive businesses that have bought hundreds of pallets worth from a certain supplier 18 months before they know they need to sell it for Christmas or whatever it might be. You still come to this sticking point. 
Absolutely. Yes. Right. And of course, as us as smaller retailers, we're not only doing the buying perhaps, but we're also trying to run our business, right? There are fires to put out. Mary hasn't turned up to her shift. The point of sale system's gone kaput. So we've got all these things happening. And at the same time, we're supposed to know really how to manage the cash that's coming into our business and try and figure all these things out while we've got a million and 30 things going on within our stores. And again, isn't it's, that so true? Like the, we we mm, just juggle all these hats yeah. as, as retail owners. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. It is such a thing that happens to us in the beginning. But then hopefully we reach this point where we're like, oh no, we're really, really stuck and we've really run out of money. And hopefully then people put their hand up and seek advice, get a consultant, ask somebody to help them, or maybe really book in time to have a a decent chat with their accountant to try and help them figure out what's going on. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you get to that stage where you just need someone to support you see the wood from the trees so that at least you don't repeat that mistake again. But next question, and again, this is like a chicken and egg situation. Which do you think is more important then, profitability or revenue? Now, that might sound like a really silly question, but I suppose I'm coming from that, from the point that many retailers discount, obviously, to clear end of lines, maybe it's end of season at Christmas, or they discount or have this marketing kind of situation to drive footfall. Maybe it's a new store. Maybe they've just had a quiet few months. But that, of course, eats into profitability. You know, whenever we market and we discount, we know it does. So what is more important, do you think, profitability or actual revenue? Okay, I think profitability. Absolutely. Profitability should be the underlying metric that we really use to drive our business forward. Now, why do I think profitability? Why do I think it's profitability? Well, I know it's profitability (laughs) simply because profitability is what pays your bills at the end of the month. Profitability is what pays your team's wages. And hopefully at the end of the day, profitability is what you use to pay yourself. Not only that, a profitable business is a good sign that you're actually running a really, really good business. Now, I'm just going to go on a tangent. I, when I work with my clients, we try, one of my main aims is to set up our business to drive profitability. And the way we do that is we, th- we think about the future and, and that we're going to sell this business. We may not want to sell the business in the immediate future, but the realization that we're driving profitability so that we can set up our business for sale because ultimately the sale price is dependent on the profit that you make in your business. And it's a multiple of profitability. So if we have an understanding of that, if I can show you the value proposition as my client, that this is what we're aiming for, then we can start to work backwards. And and then everything sorts starts to make sense because we can start, once we start to optimize for profitability, we can start to implement systems, procedures. We just get really, really clear on what we're trying to do within our store. Now, revenue is still important. It's a great metric that we need to track. And it's a great metric that we need to drive within our stores. And we need to, because most of the time, increasing revenue, by increasing revenue, we know we're doing all the strategies and things that that we need to do in store to drive our profitability up. However, we just need to be reticent of the fact that not all methods of generating revenue are the way to go, especially for small retailers. And you touched on discounting. Discounting, I think, is an excellent tool, not a not a long-term growth strategy. We definitely need to use discounting where, for instance, like you said, you know, retail, seasonal, we need to get rid of excess stock. And, you know, I firmly believe in the 90-day rule. So that means if, if in 90 days we haven't sold it, it's dead stock. 
our money is better spent, better served either in our bank account or reinvesting in new stocks. So we just need to slash and burn. And in that case, yes, we need to discount it. We can also use discounting as part of a proper strategy. So yes, we can use a on in a loss leader format, if you will, making sure that we've got the back end set up and we're not extending this for a period of time. Also, hopefully, if we're implementing this discounting loss leader strategy, we're getting rebates from our suppliers or we're getting rebates along the supply chain. And surprisingly, as small retailers, we can negotiate that. It's just about asking our suppliers if we can do that. So I think discounting is a great strategy to use very, very sparingly and at the right time. So that's what I think. I think profitability is so, so important because that's really what's how we're really going to get paid and how we're going to. Uh, use this store to fulfill our dreams and then revenue as a great metric as part of our KPIs and then using discounting where we can as a strategy to turn over stock as a short-term strategy to bring customers in the store as part of our overall plan. That sounds like really good advice. It's very clear there. Look, we wouldn't be retailers and even the best and the biggest of the brands do discount at key times of the year. But I think it's we've got into this really awful habit of just continually doing it. There are certainly brands out there that they're constantly in some sort of sale or there's some sort of discount. And then of course your consumer just expects it. And that's kind of like the, it's a race to the bottom at that stage. So I'm glad you said that it's useful, but at key times. Yes. And I want to reiterate, I think what happens, well, I don't think I know and working with clients and I did the same is we look at the big box retailers and we see they're constantly discounting. So we think that in order for us to keep up with them or to steal customers off them, that we need to do the same thing. But really, I, I don't. as retailers, many of us don't realize that when these big boxes are discounting, they're actually not losing margin, right? Mm -hmm. They've negotiated supplier repates. So they can actually move product for the supplier and still maintain their margin because they get a check at the end of the month based on the amount of units they've moved. So this happens all the time in big box retailing. And many of us small retailers don't really realize that. I mean, I touched on it before. We can get in on some of the action simply by asking. But unfortunately, for many of us, we're smaller stores. We're not moving the same amount of volume as the big guys are and girls. So I think we need to be really clear on that. Once we understand that, and then if we try and discount and we're losing money and we're not making any money at all and it just becomes this vicious cycle to the bottom because we then all of a sudden don't have any money to pay our bills. We can't pay our team, can't pay our staff. We're wondering why we're spending so much money buying in stock, merchandising, training the team, hopefully. And then we turn over all this stock and to have bubkas at the end of the day. So I think we need to be really strategic in what we do within our stores when we're trying to drive this amount of stock. And I think that all stems from, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, is really making sure that we understand who we are serving in the market. And I was just going to say, I think that's what's key here. Look, there was so much talk during those lockdown periods during COVID of, oh, how do we beat Amazon? You will never be Amazon at their own game. Because again, huge volume, very different type of selling. However, bringing in your values and then value-driven retail. So whether that's you firmly sticking to and believing what you do, or whether that's actually with your expertise, whether that is the fact that you personalize your offering, that's how you beat the big boys. It's not the race to the bottom of pricing. But again, and I think this is something you talk about a lot, it's being true to yourself as a retailer. Why did you initially start the business? What are your business values? 
And actually in everything you do, whether that's that discount because it's end of line or whether it's to drive footfall, are you sticking to your values? Yes, exactly right. And so, you know, with Amazon and with online retailing, we as bricks and mortar retailers have such an opportunity here, right? Because sure, there's going to be a part of the market that wants to click and then buy their things while they're sitting at home. But there are still a lot of people that actually want advice. And, you know, if you want something straight away, or if you can build a community around your particular store and the product and services that you offer in store, and you can engage your customers as they come in and offer them the full solution to the problem that you are solving, because as retailers, we are solving problems for our customers they're going to come back into store. And this is where we have such a big advantage over the big box retailers and also the online retailers as well. I was just walking through our local town here in in Germany and one of these big box department stores is closing down. And I was just walking through that and I go, of course you're closing down because You've got so much stock. You, you, it's so unclear who you are serving here, and this type of retailing doesn't work. Doesn't work anymore. But right next door, there's a H and M. There's a Uniqlo right next door, and they are just always pumping, right? Like because they know exactly who they're serving. They know exactly who they're ta- what problem they're solving with the products they have in store. Versus this old department store that had this old mentality right next to it, literally right next to it, which is closing down. So I think there's such a tremendous opportunity for us retailers. Yeah. And by the sounds of it, it's really about going back to, you know, retailing 101. It's about getting the basics right, knowing who you're serving, constantly talking to them. But again, I suppose that's going to almost make your your money go further, because if you're marketing specifically to the right cohort, if you're discounting at the right time for the right reason, if you're then doing all the stuff that actually comes for free, once you've paid your wages, like adding value, like training your team, if they're delivering a better experience and then upselling or cross selling now here's your kind of your profit coming into play forget the revenue as you said it's got to be about the profitability but it's very simple when you really start to break it down and you come back to the very reason that a retailer is doing what they're meant to be doing right i love it retailing 101 the basics it's so true and yeah we often get lost in it because it's so easy to get lost in all the sexy fantastic new techniques that are you know marketing stuff that we have to do that we can do i beg your pardon and based on what the other big box retailers are doing. But really, I think where retail business owners get stuck also in this is we know what we need to do, but in the managing of our store, in the attempt to put out fires, we really don't have a clear plan. So I think it's all about really just taking the time and sitting down and using 10 minutes. I guarantee in 10 minutes, if you were not disturbed and you had some sort of framework that you could use to plan out your marketing calendar, to plan out your season or to plan out your year so you knew exactly what you were doing, how you were going to train your team, when are you actually going to train your team, what are you actually going to cover in that team training sessions and hopefully then you can start to do fun things like align that with the promotions that you're having in store, perhaps seasonal promotions and then you get into this matrix and it becomes really, really clear so that you've planned, you've laid down the train tracks and all you need to do is just drive your train forward and that's your store going forward. And I think that's where we get uns- That's where we get stuck as business owners is the framework. We know what we need to do, but it's the implementation that goes all over the place because we're so scattered on a daily basis with so many things to do within our store. 
And that's the thing. And the noise, the noise that comes out, as you say, we're juggling all these things. We're seeing what everyone else is doing. Then we're jumping onto Instagram or TikTok and then we're getting more confused and the day just runs away. So I absolutely agree with you there. Some sort of strategy and framework, which is what you're really good at, is is so, so useful for our retailers. But the other thing then, so that's kind of the retailers getting their head straight, getting that strategy involved. Then some of the kind of sticky situations that I'm seeing retailers continually come up against, especially the independence price. So we know mm. we're in this kind of cost of living crisis and it's pretty much the same really, I suppose, across the world right now. Shoppers seem to become more price sensitive. And I suppose that comes with this whole idea of omnichannel or e-commerce. At a click of a button now we can check, you know, who's selling what at what price. Setting prices, something that confuses certainly a lot of independents I've spoken to. It does confuse a lot of retailers. Don't ask them about a price ladder or how they're doing it. But really, I suppose what it comes down to, Alvin, is are they undercharging the UC or are they overcharging? Like, what are you seeing when it comes to pricing? Absolutely. I think if if we're just looking at an average, I think we're undercharging. However, we can't just go about raising our prices across the board in a blanket situation. Like I, unfortunately, or fortunately use that word again, we need to be really strategic about it. We need to, one, understand who are we serving and then within our target market, we're going to have products in the store. Then it's really about understanding, you know, KVIs is a term that in, di in different retail markets, known value items. So we need to understand if this product that we're selling, is this a price sensitive product? So does that mean our target market, do they know what this product is worth? And so by having an assessment of that, and if we understand that, then we know, okay, so we can't really touch the price on this, but there are going to be other products and services within our store that we can start to improve our margin upon. But I think overall in the marketplace, I I know, and this is all business owners, we're scared to charge more. Mm. And because we look at the discounters down the road, we probably think that's the only way that we can get people into stores by having lower prices. But I think it's we really need to be strategic. Yes, some prices probably need to be low because the clients and customers know exactly what those prices are. But hopefully we have a whole suite of other products that we can start to increase our margin on and, and really drive profitability up within our store. And I think that also stems back for knowing our target market, because once you really start to understand your target market, you can start to curate products and services that the other retailers don't have that really start to solve the problems of your ideal customer, of your, of your target market. So then you can start to curate products around that and then be really strategic in that you want to make sure that you have products that not a lot of stores have or, or different brands or, and that kind of thing. So, Yeah, I think that's what's needed as opposed to just literally fixating on prices. As you said, there's a good bit of work to be done there. But once yes. you get it right, again, it feeds into this idea of you know growing your profitability, not just the revenue, which we now know thanks to you today, is definitely the way to go. So obviously these are top line figures, a lot of these profitability month on month or even week on week, your revenue. What other KPIs do you think are wise to look at? I presume, and again, I haven't worked on the shop floor for so long, that you know the average transaction value would definitely be one of them because you need to keep an eye, but there must be so many more that you like your retailers to watch. Yes, yes. So KPIs are one of those things either retailers don't know what they are 
Yeah. <laughs> and and they ignore it. Or if I come across some retailers, some independent retailers, smaller ones, and they've got too many KPIs. So I like to have KPIs that we can manage as a as a retail business owner, because then we can hopefully later on down the track, give it to our retail managers to track in store. I like to have no more than between five to six is perfect. I like to use an A4 paper and make sure we put it up in the staff room. And I want everybody in the store to see our Love KPIs. It. Brilliant. Right? Brilliant. I think we need to be really transparent in our store because if we want, ultimately it's our team, hopefully when we want to work towards is our team growing the business for us. And you want to have buy-in from our team. And so we need to share what's happening in store. And you will not believe, I'm sure you know this, but once you start to get your team involved in the figures and you're really understanding, you know, it becomes part of it adds to that level of gamification that happens within the store because then they really can start to understand, you know, the things that they're doing in store, the way that they cross-sell, upsell, the way that they merchandise, the impacts this is happening in store. Right. So I distracted myself. So that's KPIs. So yes, average dollar sale, really, really important because it's one of those things that we can influence on a daily basis. And we definitely should be tracking that. I also like to uh, track gross sales. I think it's really, really important. Gross profitability. Also, I really like to know within our store, there's always going to be one or two different categories that we are, because we all know the 80-20 rule, 80% of our sales comes from 20% of our store. So hopefully we've worked out, there's probably one or two categories in store that really humming us humming the store forward so I like to track those and then and then after that I think I like to work on 90-day plans with my clients so we set up goals every 90 days and for the fifth or sixth KPI I'd like to bring in one of those whatever we're working on for the 90 days so for instance it might be whether we are trying to grow a particular category so we might do that Another one, which I really love is hopefully we all have loyalty programs, but loyalty signups is so important, right? Making sure that we're tracking and gamifying the signups to our loyalty program. So I think that's a really important one as well. Sometimes in 90 days, we're looking to reduce our dead stock. So we're tracking the actual stock figure for that particular category that we're trying to reduce. So keeping it really, really simple keeping it so simple that we just record it on an A4 piece of paper and put it up in, in, in the staff room. I love it. And again, I would wholeheartedly agree with you there. But actually, as you were talking, I'm reminded of a conversation I had with an independent and a big independent only a few weeks ago. Oh, no, we couldn't be sharing that with our staff because we don't want everyone else to know what we're making. So you must have heard that as well. How do you kind of almost get around those retailers that to be honest, might be a little bit old fashioned in the thinking that they don't want to share the figures with the staff because they don't want everyone in the community or in the wider neighborhood knowing what they're making. Yeah, I think just by having six KPIs, it's 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 very hard to figure out what they're going to, you know, like what your overall profitability is or how or whether you're using that money to finance the Porsche or the, it's, yeah. it's so hard because what we're doing is like, we're, we're just breaking it down into little bits. So even the most, you know, clever accountant would not be able to work out your overall profitability just by looking at those figures on your KPI dashboard. So I think it's a lot of nonsense. It's, it's a lot of old school thinking. Yes. Okay. We don't want to know. We don't want to tell people how much we're making, but really, I mean, if we look at it today, 
the majority of population, me included, are so distracted by Instagram, Facebook, running our businesses. There's so much going on rather than to be, you know, thinking about, oh, what's Mr. Smith making or Mrs. Jones making in the store? Like, I think that's, that's such an old way of thinking problem. And for most, well, for all my clients, once I can get them on board and just show them, let's just do our KPI dashboard for three months and you will start to see a difference because you're whole team gets invigorated because they start to understand what's happening in the business and you just get much better team engagement. And it really is the one of the best ways to drive your business forward. So how do I deal with these people that say, just try it and, you know, just try it. Absolutely. And I, again, I absolutely agree. It's really interesting to see a team who never look at figures suddenly realize that every day they're going to see that figure and they know they have to grow it. They want to grow it. They get excited and empowered. And I think it's actually really special that when a retailer trusts the employee with those figures, but also then they take them on board, as you say, and they want to drive them. There's your business growing. There's that profitability increasing there and then because you've shared with them, because you trust them. Yep, absolutely. And when you think about it, as even as employees, we all like to know how we're going. So hopefully you're doing performance reviews, but we can talk about that another yeah. time. But one of the things that how do they know how they're going in store, right? I've walked into stores and I've worked with clients where their team members don't even know what, you know, was it a good day? I don't know. I mean, it felt like it. But once we start to see specific numbers up, your team will get a sense of how they're going. And if they are the right team member, so I think this is a great way also to weed out the the non-performing team members because the ones that don't like the numbers and they don't you know really want to get involved, they're probably not going to be the best people on the floor anyway to drive your business forward, or you might move them off the floor into another position within the store. But you want to make sure, like, if you have a look at all biz- most high high sales businesses, there's some sort of transparency with the numbers. And this is how you get buy-in. This is what makes it a game. This is what really gets your team involved. So I think it's so important. I love it. And it's a really good kind of learning to end on. So final Mm. question then, what's coming up for you in 2024? Yes. So 2024 is going to be really amazing. I'm I'm looking forward to working with a whole heap of more clients. I'm so fortunate that I get to work with clients all over the world. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also in the process of buying a few more businesses. So because I love doing that, not in retail, but in the UK. So I'm really looking forward to that. Of course, more travel because travel and adventure is my biggest value. And hopefully you as a business owner have figured out what your values are or you work on that because I think that's one of the big driving forces for making sure that you set up this business uh, that can provide for you. So that's what I'm most looking forward to in 2024. It's going to be so much fun. Continue to have a lot of fun. I love that. And it brings balance and balance has to be good for retail. Fantastic. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast episode, please do like and share. And remember that you can also listen back to past Retail Tea Break podcast episodes on your favorite podcast platform or, of course, on YouTube. Follow myself and Alvin across social media and we'll pop Alvin Nasi Coaching website links in the show notes um, and obviously the links to social media. And remember, you'll be able to find the show notes and the transcript for today's episode on the retailadvisor.ie. Alvin, thank you so, so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Had a lot of fun. Thank you.